It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. We're assuming inevitably that the season will be delayed, but when it's announced, you'd have an understanding as to why the season has been delayed. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble Quick Kicks. Heath Graham here with Don Terabin and Patrick Mooney, and we actually have something of substance to talk about today. The CFL has announced a return-to-play plan with a tentative start date in August and a mid-December Grey Cup game in Hamilton. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Woohoo! I'm excited. I'm going to be pitying the fans that have to be in the stands for the December 4th or 5th Western Final. Ouch. That's going to be cold. Ah, uh, you know what it'll be like? It, it could be it could be cold. Maybe we'll get lucky and have a warm day. And uh, you know what? I'd rather be in the stands when it's cold than not have football. A December 5th Western Final is about a week later than the Grey Cups traditionally played. And we have seen the Grey Cup in the Prairie Cities, in Winnipeg, in Regina, in Calgary. It's doable. It's not pleasant. Mid-December in Hamilton for Grey Cup Sunday also has potential to be cold. Um, that part of Ontario can also be very temperate in, in that uh, part of the year. I've been in, in Mississauga in mid-December with a jacket open walking down the street, but they also have the, the lake effect that can come into play. So I'm excited that there's a game, that there's a date in mind. The weather is going to play a factor this year. And Don, if you ever get your way in that early start... Uh, to the CFL season, this is going to be the season that's going to showcase why that is so important. <laughs> well, I'm hoping regardless of what happens that we get a season in. I know that this is a target date, August 5th. I know that the CFL has got a lot to do in terms of getting provincial approval, federal approval. I know that teams have to be flexible because who knows, the East may be still caught up in the third wave where the West may be further ahead in terms of vaccinations and East teams may start their season out West. Anything is possible right now, but at least it's possible. I was extremely excited to hear the commissioner, but to hear many of the teams, the presidents talk about the strong commitment and the fact that they will play football in 2021. I mean, we all understand that that is contingent upon having uh, health authorities allow people to be in the stands. It's contingent upon people being able to be in the stands because the CFL admits bums in the seats that are the revenue source. So I was also excited to hear some of those presidents and, and team owners also speaking to the fact that they know that they're not going to necessarily make money if you're starting with not full capacity in each stadium, but that they're committed to move ahead and, and go into it. Uh, we spoke before about many of the private owners having the financial wherewithal to put money in it still is losing money and that's something no owner would want to do the community teams are also in that situation where they're going to have to lose money and take a look at i would think maybe even loans to make it go through but the commitment is there and for me that's the most exciting thing about this announcement one of the things i found most interesting and exciting is they're actually looking at a 14 game season so it's not that much shorter than a regular cfl season if they can pull it off that's that's fantastic and you're not going to have the big, I, I, my biggest fear was a nine, 10 game season and then trying to get a legitimate Grey Cup championship beyond that. If they can pull off 14, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's practically a full season. You have to sacrifice something to get there, though. One of the things is going to be preseason. There probably won't be any preseason games. 
which is going to really put it to a lot of the rookie players that are coming into camp to really show how well. Now, you could compensate that a little bit by saying that maybe cut down isn't until week two or week three of the regular season. And that way you could have expanded rosters. Now, of course, there's a cost to that. But you have to do something that's appropriate for the players that want to make a career out of this and give them a legitimate chance. The other thing that you can look at doing, and I think they'll have to do, is cut off a buy somewhere in the middle of the season, maybe two. You've got a lot of things that you have to give to get to this point. And uh, Hamilton, you're right. It's probably going to be tempered enough that it should be fine. You may have a snow dump. Of course, everyone would love that because you know, they want to see Shania Twain pulled by a sled into another stadium. I, I want pristine conditions as much as possible for a, a championship game. I don't know why we have to live in a situation where it's either going to be minus 25, 10 feet of snow, whatever. We, we've, we've been through that one before. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. It's going to be tough to play in those temperatures and it's going to impact the quality of the games. But at the same point, we are coming out of a pandemic and this is what is needed to make it go. When you talked about uh, the start date, Justin Dunk reported on Three Down Nation uh, that Jeremy O'Day had sent a, a memo to his players where he identified that their report date is going to be July 2nd, followed by a seven-day waiting period, which means that they are going to be starting camp on July 10th, with August 5th being the official kickoff day. That may allow at least for some form of games or controlled scrimmages prior to getting into the season, which I think is good news for the players as well. You want to make sure that they're well-prepared and their bodies are ready for the season, and that should give them time to do so. Even getting one exhibition game in is going to be huge. Uh, coming into just a, a shortened camp and right into game action is going to be very tough. So I think you're right, Pat. I think the timeline works well to get one exhibition game in. I, I don't think they would do two. And again, it's it's going to be a really interesting time for new players trying to break into the league with such a short time to showcase their talents and hopefully catch on to a team. And you think back to the NFL. They They went without a a preseason last year when they went into their COVID season. Another week of camp would be, I think, far more beneficial because then you have more time to implement plays for players to understand. Granted, you don't get that competition against somebody else from another team that you can measure yourself and see what the coaches will think of you in those circumstances, but I still would prefer to have a three-week or a three-and-a-half-week camp and get everybody up to speed so that when you play game one you're up and ready to go anyone Bueller <laughs> all very good points Don I think the, the at the end of the day we want to make sure that the the teams are going to be entertaining when they hit the field and I, I would agree with you the ability to have the, the camps go as long as possible so the teams are well prepared but let's also understand that these players have been looking towards a May date the playbooks have been in their hands for some time so they're going to be able to take what they've been studying extend that time they've now got another couple months to, to take a look at it and work through it at least mentally so it is about getting them physically ready so that they're able to execute when they come on the field. Do you really want to have extra expense traveling to a preseason game? Or do you want to just stay at camp, get everybody prepped, maybe have an expanded roster for a couple weeks and then run it with it that way? The NFL didn't have to do that, and they seemed to be okay. Now, there were some complaints that there were a lot more hamstring injuries and stuff like that. I find that a little bit weird. I think players through camp will get into game shape in a shortened season 
and one less buy, you got to go. You just got to be ready and you got to go. Do you think a expanded practice roster stays on the table for this entire season as well? Given the unknowns, is it worthwhile to have a few more players kind of available in that backup role that can, can come in right away? I like it. Yeah, I, I think it's something that is going to uh, definitely be considered because if you have players go down like we've seen in other leagues, they have to have the amount of players to be able to back up. As we spoke to previously, unlike baseball that has a whole lot of games, when you play, you have to play with a certain period of time between games for football players to be safe. So if someone or a small group of people come down or even a large group of people, you've got to have players who are able to step in that uh, hopefully are not part of that bubble and may not be impacted. But I do like what all the teams are saying in terms of asking all of their players to ensure that they have been vaccinated as well as the fans, because we know that's going to be the key that will get both the players healthy and the fans in the stands. And if what uh, you you mentioned Three Down Nation reported and Jeremy O'Day had sent out, I'm happy to hear that it sounds like the federal government has agreed to a seven-day isolation period as opposed to 14 days for players arriving from the U.S. Um, I think we have the NHL to thank a little bit for that because I know they pushed hard with the, the trade deadline coming up for them to shorten that window because American teams trading players to another American team were looking at about a three-day downtime versus potentially 14 days in Canada. So seven days, I think, is workable. I, I believe players can plan their lives around that and the teams can foot the bill to get players into hotels and that sort of thing for that length of time. If you're doubling that, it makes it a lot more difficult for everybody involved. And the CFLPA have got to be sort of living in a dizzying things coming flying at them. Not that many weeks ago, they were saying, don't quit your day job. And now the CFL has come up with a schedule and they're kind of saying, well, get ready. It's really tough on Ramsey and the rest of the crew to understand. And they've been buffeted in the wind from day one. They have really been on the outside looking in. I know they've been a part of the protocol aspect of it. And I know they've had to renegotiate in terms of salaries and stuff like that. Of course, that's germane to their position. But in terms of play and when to play and all that sort of stuff, it feels like they're watching along with us to see what happens. We've said it before, and, and, and what you speak to, Don, is absolutely true. I mean, the players have been, in this case, the hardest hit by this situation of losing the season last year and now going into the unknown of, is football going to happen or, or what goes? But I was excited that when they came forward, I have to give credit to the CFL, when they came forward with this announcement today, it appears that everyone is aligned. And that hasn't always happened with all the owners. Um, Ambrosi certainly spoke to it. You see the owners making statements themselves to their teams. You've got information out to the fans. Um, as a Rough Rider season ticket fan today, we got some emails explaining some of the things that are going to be involved. So uh, it looks like they got all their ducks in line. And this announcement has come forward unified front from all those at least to this point we haven't seen any cracks yet but i mean we are on day one right now did they mention anything about when an actual schedule is going to be released uh, according to the cfl website about two hours ago they still had the original 18 game season up with this announcement there's a lot of things to work out even if the ontario teams are going to be able to play in ontario but i'm just curious if there's any word from the the club or the league as to when a actual full 14 game schedule is going to be available there is no revised schedule out as of yet. The league still has to formulate a lot of things, especially the two-parter. A, you have to 
rid games to shorten the schedule and B, you got to figure out, do you really want to build in a buffer by having the Eastern clubs play in the West to start the season? Because more than likely they are going to be in more trouble in the East trying to get games in given the amount of lockdowns that have continued and may continue for some time. The schedule itself is pretty simple. East will play each East team three times and they play the West once. There's your 14. And then the West come back with four games against the East and then 10 within the West. Two games against two of the Western clubs, three games against the other two. It's a really simple schedule. It goes almost all the way back to the early 1970s when they used to do almost the same thing. I think the other thing that I I heard during Ambrosi's interview, as I listened to Ambrosi's interview, he's looking also at the flexibility. There's still some unknowns out there. So it seems to me that all the partners are willing to be flexible. They're the As the schedule comes forward, there may have to even be some flexibility in, in terms of how do we adjust these to make it work. Having the Eastern teams come to the West, they may even have to do training camps in the West, depending on what all the health regulations start with. All of these things are out there. If that's the case, I, it excites me to think, okay, you could play a, if in Saskatchewan, you have Toronto and Saskatchewan, and Calgary has Ottawa and Calgary. There's a built-in game right there. So potentially you have your preseason game against someone who may be in the same area. And then you can move forward right into the season without the travel. The other thing, I guess, is Ambrosi spoke to the ability to look at different outcomes for each team. And I think that's going to be factored in when they go to build a schedule. They're going to take a look at, you know, what does BC need to be successful? Their number of fans in the stands may be very different from what you see in Ottawa or one of a community-owned um, you know, team. So um, I think that flexibility is certainly going to be there. And, and what they've said is they'll work with teams, local health authority, they'll apply what they hear to a matrix, they'll listen to what teams need and work in a highly collaborative fashion is what I heard Ambrosi say. And I think that's a good move again, showing that there is some unity here. If you're BC, if you're Toronto, if you're Hamilton, you need Montreal, you need the flexibility to maybe start your schedule on the road. We are led to believe that Canada should be pretty close to fully vaccinated by sometime in September if all of these vaccines continue to roll in the way they have been. If you want to cover your bases a little bit, you're going to have to have some teams start on the road two, three weeks, maybe four, where they play on the road to get their season started before their home park is finally unlocked and they can actually go and play at home. One nice thing to a schedule like that might mean that the teams from the east come to the west in the nice weather and then towards the end of the season maybe all the west teams have to finish the season on the road in the east and not in the really windy and cold stadiums in Edmonton, Regina, Calgary, Winnipeg. (laughs) Football November you can still have some cold days at the beginning too. But before we get too excited though there is one caveat that we haven't discussed and that we need people in the stands whether it's 5,000, 10,000, whatever that number is going to be to start the season. I don't think any of these owners want to go too far into a schedule without anybody in the stands. So I think a lot of this hinges upon whether or not they get permission slips to get, let's say, vaccinated, fully vaccinated people into the stadium. Yeah, and and as I spoke before, the players as well. I would think many of the players coming up, we'd like to see as many Americans as possible being fully vaccinated. Now, whether or not all the players have chosen to do that will be interesting, right? So if you come up without being vaccinated and you're a carrier, the seven days then becomes a bit of an issue. Um, 
So, I, I mean, I'm hopeful that they get enough people vaccinated that fans can be in the stands. I think the team owners and the business side of football is identifying that, yes, this won't solve their financial issues. If you have a quarter or 50% of people in the stands, there's still going to be financial hit to most of the teams operating a 14-game schedule, which is, you know, roughly 75% of the schedule. They, they still if you're operating with less than 50% fans, going to lose some money. But they're willing to do that for the continued fan engagement, they're saying for the sustainability of franchises, and again, for the CFL. And I also love the fact that they're talking about a made-in-Canada solution. This is not saying, okay, we're doing this on the backing of the XFL. Ambrosi was very clear that we did not ask the XFL to fund this season. We're looking for a made-in-Canada solution, working with the provincial governments and health authorities so that we can move forward with football, understanding there'll be a period of time of loss. And the hope is the capacity of those stadiums, whether it's in the West or East, whenever those open up, will allow that loss to be lessened. So let's look at the numbers for, for fans in the stands. Uh, we've heard that BC is working on a formula for their lower bowl, which is going to result in about four to 5,000 fans potentially for the start of the season. Where do you see the other... Western teams especially kind of getting to at that point. I mean, I know vaccine availability and, and compliance certainly is a big chunk of it, but are we hoping the other Western teams are somewhere in that same neighborhood or maybe even up to 10,000, 12,000 at the start of the year? Is that a reasonable a reasonable number and a reasonable goal? goal? CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The other thing that you can do with all of this is that you can revenue share. And I mean absolute revenue share. Because certain cities may not have anybody, certain cities may get to full capacity sooner than the others. And if you're going to have City X at 30,000 and everything's great for them, they're making their money, and City Y, who's at nothing, you've got to have absolute revenue sharing. So in other words, every dollar that goes into attendance gets shared among all the teams so that the hit or the lack of hit is the same for every member club. I agree 100%. I think that's that's very much a key part of the whole getting fans back in situation. We very well could be looking at further lockdowns in the GTA and might be September, October before they're allowed anybody in. Even if they play their first two games on the road, it still means games at an empty stadium. And if other teams are getting even half capacity and hopefully building towards full capacity, that's a huge dollar amount difference in those two situations. There is a report on Randy Ambrosi's um, discussion with him about the XFL. He did say, and I, I quote, what has become increasingly obvious to me is that the business of our league has never been as good as the players who play our game in the game itself. Later, it was intonated in that report, in my opinion, that, that the business model itself has come into a lot of discussion with the CFL, and they've kind of committed to take a look at it. And I think revenue sharing, as you mentioned, Don, is absolutely one of the things that has to be done, at least right now, but I think also for the long term, to make this season, and I think the CFL in the long run, financially viable. And that's also, according to Ambrosi, where they're looking for some assistance from the XFL. That's the one caveat that he gave out. Two aspects to revenue sharing. Number one, revenue sharing between the nine clubs. The other part, revenue sharing with the players. 
most of the major pro sports leagues in North America, if not all of them, have some methodology that the players get a portion of whatever revenues are made by that particular league. If the CFL can see its way to do something for the CFLPA and say, look, we're going to start here. We may not be at 50, but we're going to start here and move our way toward it. Don't you think the PA and its players would be incentivized to say, hey, we've got to grow this game. Let's go out there and promote this thing. Because right now they're just getting their salary and little else. In a league that has revenue, yes, that's enticing, right? Um, There are some teams that don't have the revenue, but overall, is the league making enough to cover some extra funds towards the players? And I agree with what you say. I think it's got to be a slow procedure to get there, Don, because I don't think if all of your funding comes out of that, if you're saying, okay, we're going to pay salaries at 50%, if I'm part of the CFLPA, I'm saying, well, I'm not sure I want to do that right now. Because when the teams take a big loss or we have a situation, which we've seen the CFL before, where one or two um, of the franchises are floundering, then am I willing to take that risk and tie my salary to that so it's fluctuating up and down as the league goes? So it's, it's one of those, for me, a slippery slope for players. I think it's important if the league becomes financially viable and moves forward, it's absolutely where we want to go. But... At, at this point, there's some question on the information we've been provided as to the financial viability of the league moving forward. The other part of the equation, we talk about the broken business model all the time about the CFL, and I've heard it on so many different forums and read so many tweets about it. But I think the real gist of what's broken is that the CFL depends on attendance too heavily and that they haven't diversified their portfolio enough so that it isn't just what happens in the stadium that makes or breaks them. That it has to be merchandise and gambling and television rights. And I heard it commented this way, the trick to making money in professional sports is not to make money as the person comes to the stadium, but after they leave. I think the financials in terms of whether people are at the stadium or otherwise are absolutely important to the success of a league. I do like what you're saying. Like any league that relies only on game day is not going to be as successful as those that have a strong marketing plan. If you look at Saskatchewan Rough Riders as an example, the amount of merchandising that they're able to sell throughout the course of a year when they're playing is very good. I see that in other teams as well. So I think the CFL as a whole also suffers. To go back to what you were saying about You know, it's got this. I think where they have potentially suffered in addition to some of the business model that may be there is also in the ability to get everyone on the same page moving forward. And if there's one thing I think the pandemic has done, it seems to me to have brought everyone to the table to at least have discussions and agree to say, okay, we're in this together. And as a collective, rather than individual franchises or owners trying to look after their own interests, if you can start thinking in the collective, which is what I'm hearing you say, Don. I think that's going to benefit the league. It's definitely an opportunity to come out of this with a new business plan. I mean, if you look at the last 14 months, in North America, the CFL is really the only league that completely shut down and didn't play for an entire season. Even the you know M- MLS had a, had a season, the WNBA, the Women's National Hockey League, a lot of other teams team sports that don't even have the same kind of gate revenue that the CFL has managed to get either a tournament or a partial season, a bubble season, something on the go. And the fact that the CFL couldn't and were very much looking for a little while that they weren't going to get a 2021 season in 
the business model is broken. So I'm happy to hear over the last six weeks that there's been talks about coming up with some ideas to, to move things forward. I think having a partial season this year and getting fans back in the stands is going to show what kind of interest and support the CFL has. And hopefully they can, smarter people than me, can come up with a plan to make this league successful. The commitment to look at business model and work with the XFL to build that is something that it sounds like the partners are moving forward on. Because of the non-disclosure, I think we've, we've seen all kinds of media speculation that have gone through all kinds of what-ifs. I'm going to go back to today's announcement and say what I heard is that it's a Canadian solution. We're moving forward with our Canadian game. We're looking to find a way to move through this season. And then we'll have to, of course, look at the future, which is the business model, the things that are going to help us succeed. And I still would go that the XFL can help in that. But my hope is that it's not truly a full merger. There may be some interaction. There may be some working together on some of those things. Any business who's struggled with making things work, as you alluded to, Heath, you know, the season didn't go, they couldn't make it work, they couldn't get on the same page last year. Now it seems to me that they've, they've at least gotten to the same page and said, here's our plan. They've admitted that it, or told us, I mean, I guess we haven't heard from health authorities, but, but assuming that they've gotten the okay from health authorities, their plan has been good. So there's a lot of positives to take from this. The plan's good. They've got some ideas going ahead with this. Hopefully it's a Canadian solution that can allow them to move ahead and continue with the CFL in the iteration as we know it, connecting to the XFL in other manners. Not to say a merger's off the table. I think everything's on the table for discussion, but my hope is that we can maintain the CFL as it is and add things by the relationship with the XFL. I'm going to go back to what, what Craig Reynolds said and when he talked about playing with reduced number of games and moving forward. They know it's not going to solve financial issues, but it's, again, for the sustainability of the franchise, for the brand, which I take to be the CFL, for continued engagement of fans, it is vitally important. So to me, that's why we're moving ahead. We're trying to maintain interest in the CFL, make sure it's part of the news cycle, allow a way forward to move through the pandemic with the understanding that this has been an aberration. We're not likely to see this, let's hope again, for another 100 years since the last major pandemic. This will allow them to bridge the gap and continue moving forward with, again, those Canadian solutions that I spoke to earlier. In December 1996, the league came to almost the same spot and there was no pandemic. The American expansion had just come and gone and the league had to decide with its governors as to whether or not they would continue what their answer was at that time was to reach out to the NFL, get a loan, and get their business in order. And then Mark Cohan comes along and really grew this league through the early 2000s. Could it be again that they've hit this edge of the cliff and they're looking over the edge and thinking to themselves, I don't think I like that option. Let's pull back and let's find a way to not be here again. That's very possible. And I think one of the biggest things to me is not getting a 2021 season in so going a full two seasons or a full two years without a season i think you lose a lot of fans you lose a lot of players and regardless of where the money's coming from in 2022 it's going to be really hard to build that back up i i hope that uh that we're correct in this assumption that this is a chance for the cfl as a league as a canadian entity to rebrand and refocus and regrow it could still go the other way. We spent a couple of weeks talking about possible merger situations. I don't think that's off the table yet, but 
it was absolutely 100% important that they got a 2021 season in. I think we've had a good step in the right direction with this first initial announcement. It is absolutely wonderful to hear some news coming out of the CFL so we don't have to continue to speculate. And we know in the, in the coming days we're going to hear a lot more. So I'm excited even to, to get back to our next uh, podcast because I know we're going to have some things to continue to talk about. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.